This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 27th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. Do Americans prefer electric vehicles over conventional gasoline-powered cars? We'll have the results of an illuminating new survey that attempts to answer that question. While consumers are having a tough time with the current lack of inventory of new cars, one group seems to be loving the situation. We'll tell you who that group is and why they are so happy coming up. And one key car company executive is speaking plainly about the effects of the federal legislation passed this summer that changed the way tax incentives are determined for electric vehicles. We'll have the details on what he said and why he said it. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. California save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at drivingtoday.com slash auto insurance. That's drivingtoday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. They have both a slash and a hyphen in there, Chris. <laughs> I'm Jack D. Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague, hat-wearing Chris Teague today. He lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. I think you're, you're battling a potential hurricane there in uh, <laughs> in Maine. Each week we get together to talk about cars, the car industry, and ways we can get the most out of our automotive dollars. Jeez, I was going to ask you about Thanksgiving, but I'm concerned about the weather you're experiencing today, huh? <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a 60 mile an hour wind gust today. I keep looking out the window because the trees are, are going sideways, but uh, I enjoy wearing my hat. <laughs> I'm inside where it's nice and dry, so I can't complain about that. Yeah, and you're in that historic home of yours, which is very cool <laughs> in Maine, so I like that. What vehicle are you going to be talking about this week? Myself and my very happy kids spent the week in the 2023 Cadillac Escalade. There was plenty of room for somersaults and all sorts of stuff in the back, so I can't wait to tell you about it. Ah, somersaults. Well, I haven't done a <laughs> somersault in the car, maybe ever. Um, <laughs> I will be road testing the 2023 Ford Bronco Badlands, and I had a chance to drive it for a full week here in Southern California, so I'll have a full report. Uh, we have a really good interview for you. Mark Darrow is president of True Car. He's an absolute expert on the car buying process. And if you plan to buy a new or used car in the next couple of years, you'll want to hear what he has to say. Really illuminating, interesting stuff. But I also have a new book, Dance in the Dark. It's now available as a paperback and Kindle edition. It's on Amazon, of course. It's a suspense thriller, and it's a follow-up to my true crime book, Fatal Photograph. So... You might want to have a look at that. But before we do anything else, we'll be bringing you some of the most important auto-related news from around the world. So stay with us. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nierad with you. And thanks so much for joining us on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague. This is Jack Nierad back with you. And thanks so much for being with us on America on the Road. Love having you with us. It's news time here at America on the Road. And there's a question about whether Americans prefer EVs or conventional cars. Uh, a lot of people are trying to answer that question. Certainly car companies would like to answer that question. There is a comparison site, actually an insurance comparison site based in Australia, of all places, called Compare the Market that has surveyed Americans, Canadians, Australians, I guess English-speaking peoples around the world to see where they stand on electric vehicles versus conventional uh, internal combustion engine vehicles. And this is what they found. 53% of Americans said they would prefer a traditional vehicle, a conventional gasoline-powered vehicle, where, while 34% said they'd prefer an electric vehicle, and the rest had no preference. I wonder about that. This, uh, this is different than in Australia, where 50, more than 50% said they would prefer an EV. In Canada, where 
Uh, 51.4% said they would prefer an EV. What's your take on all of this, Chris? You know, it's interesting. I'm actually surprised to see gas, or I'm sorry, EVs comprising such a large percentage of the the people who say they want to buy. Um, but it's also not surprising to see that that number for EVs is higher in places like Australia and Canada, right? Because they, we've been complaining about gas prices recently, but these people have been paying uh, four or five times the amount we pay for a gallon of gas for years now. So uh, that part of it's not surprising. But again, I am surprised to hear that so many Americans would prefer an EV. Uh, it's encouraging to me because I think it it's the right direction to go. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, you can take it a couple of different ways. I mean, certainly a majority of Americans still want gasoline-powered cars, according to the survey. And I'm wondering how scientific the survey actually is, where 34% said they'd prefer an EV. That's a lot more than the market share, certainly, of electric vehicles in the United States. So as you point out, it's trending in, in uh, that direction. Certainly younger folks like EVs and uh, want them. People 18 to 24 years old were most likely to say they preferred an EV. 70% of people uh, of boomer age or near boomer age, I guess people who are 55 aren't even boomers anymore, <laughs> uh, would prefer a conventional vehicle. So uh, that's not that hard to figure out, is it? No. Nope. We asked uh, who likes the fact that inventories are low right now. New car inventories are low. Certainly consumers aren't wild about it. I don't think car companies are particularly happy with it. But I can tell you a group that likes it, and that is retail auto dealers. <laughs> they are reveling in the situation. They uh, continue to enjoy higher than ever profits. Some are up 50% or more. And it's not hard to figure out why. I mean, you've experienced this uh, yourself, uh, just doing some calls right right in your local area, right, Chris? Yeah, you know, I was calling for the uh, Toyota GR Corolla, which is a special car. There are only a few of them being made, but uh, the same dealers I was talking to have RAV4 Primes sitting on the lot. This is a plug-in hybrid mainstream SUV crossover uh, with a $5,000 markup slapped onto the sticker. And so this is pretty common now. It's frustrating for car buyers and, you know, you know how I feel about it. So yeah. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Well, Ward's Auto did a survey of dealers and they found that close to 40% of them were either exceeding or far exceeding their revenue and profit objectives for the last 12 months. So they're loving the way things are. Will they stay this way? That's the big question. And I think the answer is it's doubtful they will stay this way for very long. I think as competitive as the global car market has always been and is likely to be, uh, we're going to see some lessening of the, the problem of inventory. At the same time, Interest rates are shooting up. The Fed continues to, Federal Reserve continues to raise interest rates in, a, in an attempt to rein in inflation. They're rating in inflation by uh, causing a recession. Is, is that the best uh, way to do it? Uh, one, one wonders about that. But it's certainly going to have an effect on auto sales. I mean, when interest rates go up, auto sales go down. It's, uh, you just see that every time, don't you, Chris? Yeah, and as, as interest rates go up, you say, you know, as you mentioned, people are probably uh, likely to back off of their their shopping a little bit. So that's that's going to continue to encourage dealers to keep their their prices where they are. And as you say, you know, it's anybody's guess when these prices are going to start coming down. But from the dealer's side, it's going to take them a while. Even when inventory starts coming back, it's not going to be an immediate switch where they say, oh well, now we have more cars, we're going to you know lower our prices. So it could be a while before we start to see things uh, level off. I'm seeing some hopeful signs though here in Southern California. I mean. I'm seeing some incentives. I'm seeing some lease deals being advertised on TV now. You didn't see that a month ago or two months ago at all. And now there's, I think there's more than enough inventory of some models, not every model certainly, but uh, some models there's uh, more than enough inventory and the manufacturers want to move those. So they're putting some incentives in the market. So I think if you shop carefully, 
Uh, you might not find exactly what you want. And I know you're looking for a very specialized vehicle <laughs> right now. Is that to replace the GTI or is that... Uh it will replace the GTI, and you know I just have to be clear that I'm complaining about markups on a car of which there are probably only I have no idea, but only a few hundred made. So uh, my case is uh, definitely a problem that is not really a problem. <laughs> well, I, I, there's a lot of markups though on cars that are much more mainstream than that, so I think that's something to pay attention to. Well, we talked about the fact that uh, a car company executive has uh, complained very plainly about the Inflation Reduction Act, or the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, that, among other things, changed the way that tax incentives are, are set up for electric vehicles. His name is Steve Center. He is COO of Kia of America, Kia America. Actually, he's a guy I've known for 30 years. I used to work with him at a car company many, many years ago, decades ago. This is what he said. To have everything just changed, presto change, it was very disruptive to everybody. He told this to Automotive News. You have the whole industry aggressively developing and getting ready to manufacture electric cars, and you go in and you change it, and it disrupts everybody's planning. And the reason <laughs> I think he's pretty cranky, he's working for a company that basically is the number two seller of electric vehicles in the United States now, behind Tesla, if you count all of Hyundai, Genesis, and Kia together, they've made a big commitment to EVs. They want to do EVs. And uh, I think they feel the, the rug has been pulled out from under their feet. What's your, what's your take on that, Chris? Yeah, you know, these this product development cycles, I am far from an engineer or anyone who develops these things, but these these take years and these production plans, you know, they've been gearing up for ramping up for probably five or six years for EV6 production from Kia and then Ionic 5 and so on for for Hyundai and then to have to change all these things to meet new requirements or face, you know, the decline of sales because people want to buy uh, a cheaper EV. Uh, I can see where he's upset about that. Uh, you know, even though I'm kind of in favor of, of the concept of the legislation, I can see how the implementation is a huge pain for automakers and, and maybe some others too as well. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to have manufacturing in America. And I think uh, Kia and Hyundai have committed a lot of manufacturing to America. They're just not building EVs here right now or in any quantity. Uh, I think they had plans to do that. Uh, maybe they can accelerate those plans. But I think when government starts meddling in what companies do, it often has unintended consequences, right? I mean, I think the goal here is probably a good one. Have American workers work on uh, cars that are uh, sold in America. That's a great thing. But it's incredibly disruptive when it just comes out of the blue like this. And I think that is what's happened. And that's why uh, I think they're more than a little cranky about that. Yeah, and as you mentioned, if you pull on one string, the other, some string somewhere else gets shorter. So there's, you know, always unintended consequences. And with something this big, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it is definitely, uh, it will be interesting to see how it pans out, I guess, uh, in the next couple of years. Yeah. Well, here's an item I thought was fascinating. And it's um, comments from a car company executive saying, we don't want to sell as many cars. We want customers to buy cars less frequently and keep them longer. This is an executive from BMW. And it's like, hmm, uh, I, I don't quite understand that. I mean, that's actually, as a, as a consumer, a, a, not a bad plan is to buy a car and then keep it for a while, pay it off or, or you know, buy it with cash even better, and then keep it for a while. I, I'm kind of the extreme example of that. The Nered family has a 22-year-old vehicle in our fleet that's our, our major vehicle. But to have a car company that typically depends on 
churn and, and you know keeping sales going how do you feel about that yeah you know it's kind of opposite of what as you say they're used to this churn you know the 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 car companies especially luxury automakers like bmw uh they rely on that you know having to keep up with the joneses sort of uh satisfaction of buying a new car oh my neighbor's got the new m5 i gotta go grab the new m5 or the next year so uh, it is counterintuitive but from an environmental standpoint a sustainability standpoint and from a personal finance standpoint uh, is probably good even though i don't follow any of those uh, myself, so. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, I mean, that's it for the news. And when we come up, we're going to be uh, road testing some very interesting vehicles. I want to hear about the Teague family and that Cadillac Escalade. And I was in the Ford Bronco. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Red with you on America on the Road. Thanks so much for being with us and stay with us through the break. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague. This is Jack Red with you. And it is road test time. And Wow, we've got some, I believe, quite interesting vehicles to road test. The Cadillac Escalade, somersaults in the back. I, I mean, I want to hear about that, Chris. Tell us all about it. Yeah, you know, I always enjoy driving the Cadillac Escalade. It's one of those things that, you know, when, when people, a lot of people think of luxury vehicles or I've arrived, especially when you're talking about American cars, it's the Cadillac Escalade. You know, uh, football players, uh, NBA players, baseball players, they're all, uh, this is the ride of choice. But uh, we spent the week in the uh, Sport Platinum trim, which is the next to highest trim level. That starts around $109,000. Ours had some options. Uh, the price was around $120,000 after everything was said and done. Uh, you can go up. I know you talked about the, the Escalade V-Series a few weeks ago, Jack. That one is the top of the line with the, the giant supercharged V8 for one hundred and fifty dollars uh, But this is not that. This is a more traditional uh, high-end Cadillac Escalade. Even though it's called Sport Platinum, it is still uh, every bit the luxury vehicle. So there's not a lot of uh, speed-related uh, upgrades here. Uh, you can get this thing with a, a turbocharged inline diesel. It's a three-liter a three diesel. It's got 277 horsepower and 460 pound-feet of torque. Uh, but I, mine came with the standard 6.2-liter V8. Uh, it's got 420 horsepower and 460 pound-feet of torque. For such a large V8, Jack, uh, you get the throaty V8 sound. You start it up, it sounds like a big American V8. But when you get on the gas and you're underway, all of that kind of fades away. The Cadillac, it's very isolating. You feel like you're kind of sitting in uh, almost like a hug, really, because it's so quiet. It's so isolated. You're you're tall. You're high off the ground, uh, and you really do feel like you're separated from from the traffic and, and things around you. You might even be six feet tall. Oh, maybe even six feet. Probably more than that with this this vehicle's air suspension. But uh, it's got a ten speed automatic transmission. Sends power to all four wheels. Uh, you can get it with rear wheel drive, but this is a four wheel drive model. Uh, this the transmission jack. This thing is super smooth. Uh, you know, sometimes with the 10 speed, there's a little bit of a hunting of the gears, especially at lower speeds. You're in town. It's trying to figure out uh, and anticipate the speed that you're going to be going. But uh, there is none of that here. It's very quiet. As I said, it picks the gear, sticks with it and keeps the engine moving so that uh, the vehicle is going forward. But you're not really experiencing anything other than movement, <laughs> no sound, no vibration, uh, none of that. Uh, as I mentioned, it's got air suspension, so uh, it lowers itself when you get in and out of it. Uh, this vehicle also had the optional power fold-out side steps, so not only does it lower itself, but it presents a side step. So entering and exiting is very easy, even for uh, my six-year-old daughter who traditionally has trouble climbing in and out of vehicles that are taller than her head. <laughs> so uh, she enjoyed that. Uh, but the other side effect of the air suspension is that it's incredibly smooth. It's able to keep the vehicle planted in the corners so it doesn't feel too tippy like a big uh, SUV typically would. But at the same time, you're going over potholes, especially here in Maine. Uh, we have some pretty rough roads. It just soaks all of it up and it remains quiet at the same time. 
the inside it has semi-aniline leather and a jack this. I know you love to play baseball, so I want to get your feeling of this. Uh, I As soon as I sat down in this vehicle, I thought, this smells like a baseball glove, a brand new out-of-the-bag Rawlings baseball glove, and it just made the whole interior feel really special. So I wanted to get your feel of the how the Cadillac's cabin feel. They go to extreme lengths to have a luxury feel in the cabin because so many non-luxuries are doing that. I mean, we see really luxury interiors out of non-luxury brands these days. So I think Cadillac really has to go the extra mile, and they've been doing it. And I, your analogy is perfect, I think. Yeah, you know, my neighbor came over, and I, I didn't even say the words to him. And he said, oh, this smells like a baseball glove. It's just, it's really fantastic. And they nailed the, the luxury feeling, which at the price point, you know, not everybody does. And I think that's a, a good move for, for Cadillac. But um, seating for seven people in this vehicle. So it's got two buckets up front, captain's chairs in the middle, and then a third row bench seat. Uh, this is not the ESV, which is the extended wheelbase version. So, But even then, with the third row up, there's still plenty of room. My 70-pound golden uh, golden doodle, I should say, not golden retriever. Uh, he could fit in the back with the third row up, absolutely no problem. Uh, the kids have plenty of room, as I mentioned, to do cartwheels and move around in the back with the, the seats folded down. But the last thing I want to talk about here are the screens, Jack. There are 38 inches of total screen display real estate on the dash. You've got a 16.9-inch touchscreen, a 14.2-inch gauge cluster, and a 7.2-inch control panel. It's paired with an AKG Studio 36-speaker sound system, uh, and this thing is loud enough to shake the inside of my house from the driveway. Uh, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto are wireless. You've got Bluetooth, Sirius XM radio jack. I can go on about the tech forever. Uh, but if you're looking for a luxury SUV uh, and you like the American brands, it does not get any better than the Cadillac Escalade. I can say that. Do you think there's too much screen space? I mean, are are they reaching the level of overkill there? I mean, I, I just wonder, right? Yeah, you know, I think it could be overkill, but the the first of all, the color, the contrast, and the brightness of these screens, and also the way they're oriented, make them so that they're not right in your face the whole time, and they're not super distracting. Uh, there are some features like an augmented reality video system that displays a camera view in the gauge cluster. Some of that stuff is a little out there for me, um, but overall, it's not too bad, I will say that. And you like the vehicle, and that's a key thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I guess at 110, 120,000 bucks, you probably should like the vehicle, shouldn't you? Yeah, there's not much to complain about. Yeah. Well, I was driving a vehicle that's far less expensive, although I thought it was less expensive than it turned out to be when I consulted the uh, Monroney sticker uh, as I was preparing to do the show here. And that is the Ford Bronco Badlands. It's a 2023. Ford Bronco was reintroduced to the market a couple years ago now as a 2021. Uh, and of course, Bronco has a, a rich history that dates back to the 1966 model year, where they competed against not only the Jeep CJ, but also the International Harvester Scout, you know, a vehicle <laughs> that I, I always liked a lot. They eliminated the Bronco after the 1996 model year, Ford did. And ever since then, Ford fans have been saying, hey, bring back the Bronco. So they brought it back in 2021. I think they missed two decades of potential very rich sales uh, where Jeep had the market all to itself. The Jeep Wrangler had the market all to itself. The Bronco, like the Jeep, is available in two and four-door versions. We had a, a two-door Badlands, which is kind of interesting to have. And I think more true to the original Bronco, those were, those were two doors, two-door vehicles. Um, and uh, Bronco comes in... It launched with a, ra a rather handful of trim levels. It's now available in 10 different trims. It's kind of mind-boggling how this has expanded. I'll read them through really quickly. Base, Big Ben, this is in ascending order of, of uh, money expended, I think. Uh, base, Big Ben, Black Diamond, Outer Banks, Badlands, so kind of right in the middle there. 
there are two heritage editions that I think are really cool. They've got the white painted grill and you know white wheels, and they really take me back to the mid '60s that I remember quite well, actually. <laughs> Sadly, uh, there is the Wild Track, the Everglades, the uh, with a snorkel, its own snorkel, and the Raptor, of course, which is almost its own model. Very, very cool. The base model starts at thirty-two thousand two hundred ninety-five dollars. I dare you to find one that you could buy for that kind of money. And this has been a big hit for Ford. I mean, this has been one of the success stories I think of this decade. Is the Ford Bronco? I, I see them all over the place here in Southern California, and I think they've just resonated. And uh, I think they've taken a bite out of the Jeep Wrangler. Three engines available in the Bronco. Uh, the car I tested, the Badlands I tested, had the 2.3-liter four-cylinder direct injection and turbocharging, an EcoBoost engine, 275 horsepower, 315 pound-feet of torque on regular-grade fuel. It goes up to 300 horsepower if you put premium in it. I didn't want to take a bank loan out, so I didn't, did not put premium in the vehicle I had. The 275 horsepower was just fine. You can get an optional engine, a 2.7-liter V6, also turbocharged. It offers 315 horsepower with, pre with premium fuel that's 330 horsepower. The uh, Badlands Edition I had had the seven-speed manual transmission with a super-low crawler first gear. What's your take, Chris? Would you go with an automatic or would you go with a manual in a vehicle like the Bronco Badlands? Yeah, you know, for me, I'd only be doing light off-roading uh, because I have kids and always be hauling. I'd probably have a four-door, so I'd go with the automatic. But I can see, you know, there's absolutely a use for that crawler gear and the seven-speed. Uh, so it's useful for the right the right audience. Uh, I, I think I'd be with you. I'd probably do the automatic. I just think it makes it simpler on the trail. But, uh, you know, really talented off-roaders, I think, can manipulate a manual transmission in a way that uh, is quite awesome, actually. Some of the vehicles uh, can be available with sway bar disconnect. So that's very cool. I mean, they, this is very well-equipped for off-roading, and the Badlands in particular is, is well-equipped for off-roading. When it comes to fuel economy, well, not so much. This, <laughs> these are not vehicles you, you buy for fuel economy. Uh, the four-cylinder I had, 20 miles per gallon city, 21 miles per gallon highway, 20 miles per gallon combined. I guess it's not too terrible for a vehicle as big as this, but it's not all that big. It's a four-passenger vehicle, too. Another kind of questionable thing about these vehicles is the advanced driving assistance features offered. A little lighter duty than uh, most passenger cars these days. Although the Bronco certainly outdoes the Wrangler. It has Ford Copilot 360. And so it has things like hill start assist and pre-collision braking assist, forward collision warning. Uh, automatic emergency braking with pedestrian detection, and it has hill descent controls on manual transmission models. So I guess that's uh, pretty good. You can buy packages for blind spot alert, cross traffic alert. So that's better than the Wrangler in terms of what's available. It also offers the SYNC 4 system with an 8-inch touchscreen, which I like. And you're a fan of SYNC 4, certainly, aren't you? I am, and it runs well on the 8-inch and the available. I think it's 12-inch screen in the Bronco, two apps side-by-side. Side. It's fantastic. It's very responsive and colorful. Uh, one of the best. Yeah. If you go for one of the higher grades, like the Everglades or the Heritage Limited or the Raptor, you can have a 12-inch touchscreen. And that's a pretty big touchscreen in this kind of uh, vehicle. A 10-speaker B&O premium audio system is offered in some of the trims, too. I like the interior. Uh, it is definitely, in two-door form, a four-passenger vehicle. The, the rear seat is kind of narrow, actually. But it is roomy, and it has uh, pretty good cargo space with both, uh, both seats in, in use. It has 22.4 cubic feet of cargo, cargo space. Um, so that's... Uh, 
more than adequate. Some versions too, you can get marine grade vinyl seat upholstery and rubber mats and actually hose out the interior. So that's not bad either, especially if you have kids and you do birthday parties in there. What do you think about that, Chris? <laughs> yeah, we're thankful a little cleaner than that, but I can see a use for it. Yeah. So in any case, uh, very good. Uh, I think I might have misspoken about the amount of uh, storage space in the Bronco. It's actually 38.3 cubic feet of space and 83 cubic feet of cargo area. I was quoting figures on the competitive uh, Wrangler there, so you can see the big difference. I like the Bronco a lot. Uh, The vehicle I tested, I expected to to cost something like forty-five dollars or $46,000 was my off-the-cuff estimate. It's actually uh, $58,000, the MSRP. <laughs> so I'm like, hmm, manual transmission, base engine, 60000 bucks, And uh, that's before markup. Yeah, it adds up quick. <laughs> it certainly does. Well, when we come back, we will have a great interview with Mike Darrow. He is president of TrueCar. And if you're about to buy a new car or even thinking of buying a new car in the next couple of years, he's got a lot to tell you. So stay with us for that. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Nierat with you. And we have a really interesting, terrific guest for you, a really knowledgeable guy, especially about uh, auto retailing, about buying a car. Mike Darrow is the president of True Car. A real veteran of the industry, been been through the wars many, many years as I have. And and Mike, number one, thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jack. It's good to talk to you. Well, I'll tell you, this has been one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult times to buy a car over the last two or three years uh, in in history, perhaps. But, you know, certainly in in my lifetime and probably in yours. Tell us what what consumers are facing right now. Well, yeah, I I think the framework, Jack, that we're dealing with is, you know, pre-COVID 2019, um, new car dealers carried about 3 million, 3.2, 3.3 million units of new car inventory on their lots, created a great selection for consumers. They could find what they were looking for uh, and and really created a balanced marketplace. Then when COVID hit uh, and the after effect of COVID, and I I think, and, and you've seen this, our industry actually responded pretty well to COVID. Dealers became very flexible. They started delivering cars to consumers' homes. And we kind of got through the the aspect of the COVID impact on the business getting into the tail end of 2020. And then in the second quarter of 2021, uh, these, these parts shortages really started to pop up and it started with chips. And um, what we saw is inventory dramatically started to de- decrease and it fell from that 3 million plus range to in October of 2021, new car inventory was below a million units. So what happens when the supply gets so restricted is that pricing goes up. The only alternative dealers had was to raise price on the cars they had uh, and that was the reaction to the marketplace. So when new car pricing goes up like it did, it creates space for used car pricing to go up. So at the same time, new car price went up, used car pricing followed it right up in the marketplace, which kind of created a double whammy for consumers, right? Whether you were a new car buyer or a used car buyer, you were being impacted by the the new car inventory shortage. So the good news is uh, a year later in October of 2022, what we've started to see is a rebuild of new car inventory. It's uh, our data shows it was about 1.5 million at the end of October. So it's creeping back up from the low points. Um, and with that, we've seen a, 
a slow in demand for used cars, which means those prices are coming down as well. So I think we're seeing balance return to the marketplace. Um, we, 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 we are in a wonderful industry when there's a balance between supply and demand and consumers and retailers can interact in a, in a positive way. And I think we're returning back to that, that spot. Yeah. I mean, most of the time, there's a little bit of oversupply in the industry and, and before the past two years. And, and that's, frankly, pretty good for the consumers. There's a lot of competition out there. It's fierce and, you know, pricing and incentives and all that happens. But when inventory is restricted, as we've seen, it becomes a whole different story, doesn't it? It really does. And, and as we look at the data and, and it's, it, you know, it's there's a lot of different views on where that balance comes back. But our data shows us that about 2.5 million units is where you get a really nice balance between supply and demand. It doesn't need to push up over $3 million. Uh, that's when it gets inefficient for the retailers and for the OEMs, and they have to put big incentives on the cars and, and do those things to drive volume. So we think there's room for probably another million units in, in new car dealer inventory, uh, and that'll create a nice balance. Prices will adjust, uh, and we'll get back to a marketplace where – there's a lot of pent up demand out there. People who went to the sidelines because of COVID or pricing, uh, I think are ready to come back to the marketplace. I know I've promised my wife a new lease car for, for months now, and I haven't been able to go back to the market because we just can't find what she wants. And I think as the inventory builds back up, there's a lot of buyers who will come back to the marketplace ready to buy. Well, and that's what a lot of people are running into. And I think uh, TrueCar certainly can help people with that, right? Help help them find vehicles that they otherwise couldn't find. Let our uh, listeners and, and viewers know what TrueCar does these days. Yeah, so, so we currently, Jack, we have about a million units in inventory, new and used cars. We have about 12,000 dealer partners, about 8,000 of them are franchise dealers and about 4,000 independent used car dealers. Um, our business has has shifted a bit recently. We used to be a heavily dominant new car brand for shoppers. Now we're more balanced uh, in uh, in the type of shoppers we see. And in Q3 and Q4, we were about 50-50 new and used uh, for shoppers on our site actually buying a car from one of our retail partners. So, you know, the, the, the traffic to our site, as with many internet properties, has been up because consumers realize they've got to shop online and actually find a vehicle of interest before they even begin to think about going to a dealership. Uh, the days of being able to go to your local dealer and see 200 cars on the ground and kind of pick out the one you want, I think, are, are, uh, are, are a distant memory. And now consumers are spending time online, finding the car they want. We help them with that. We also help them understand pricing. We help them understand payments, all the things they need to move forward with the purchase. And then in Texas or in uh, Florida, we're running a pilot for True Car Plus, which is, you know, our ultimate version of how new car shopping should happen. And we're really excited about it. It's an opportunity for a consumer to go end to end uh, from discovery all the way to uh, purchase. Uh, and we're building that out. We've been at it for about a year, seen a lot of success in Florida. And we're ready to expand into five additional states uh, here before the end of the year. So, you know, we want to bring that product to a lot more consumers. We have our traditional leads product available to help consumers uh, where we're not with TrueCar Plus yet. But 
you know, a lot of uh, exciting things happening for us at TrueCar. Well, I mean, the dream of, of buying a car digitally and, you know, not necessarily having to see a dealer. I mean, certainly you and I are both big proponents of dealers. I know I am, and I, I'm certain you are too. I mean, uh, dealers are the lifeblood of this industry, and they do a, a lot in the local communities. There's a lot of things that they do that's very useful. But uh, they have their place, right? And, and being able to do a lot of this stuff online, a lot of preliminary research, and then even deal-making and getting to the point of culminating, a, agreeing to a deal online, that's kind of the holy grail, isn't it, Mike? That's right. And, 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 and you touched on it, Jack. To us, retailers, our dealers are the foundation of our program, right? We, we want to bring modern technology to their inventory. We want to expose it to consumers in a broader range than what they've been able to do. A, a lot of dealers are out there trying to figure out how to compete in a digital environment, right? It takes, it takes a technology investment. It takes marketing. It takes all those things. By putting their inventory on TrueCar Plus, we take care of all of that. We've built the technology. We do the marketing and bring the consumers in. They just have to work with us on pricing their inventory and letting us know what products they sell. Uh, and we can bring them into a modern digital environment with a very minimal investment. Yeah. And uh, excellent uh, consumer experience going through that. And, you know, you can do that any time of the day or night, I imagine, 24-7, 365. You're having uh, cookies and milk at 11 o'clock at night or something like that. You can be working on your car deal and then resuming again the next day, right? Yeah, that's, that's the beauty of the whole program, Jack. From the consumer perspective, uh, it's it allows the flexibility and timing. Car buying oftentimes is multi-steps for a consumer, particularly if you have a trade-in. You have to get a value for your trade. You have to understand your buying capabilities and the way you want to address the marketplace. You have to get financing. Uh, and rather than trying to squeeze that into a six-hour visit at a dealership, what we've done is put it in pieces where a consumer can do it at their own pace uh, and, and do it uh, in the comfort of their home. And like you said, the, the, the ultimate vision of the deal is a consumer builds the deal they want uh, and the, uh, the dealer comes in the next day and it's sitting there waiting for him. He's excited to have the incremental business. The consumer's happy with the process. Uh, and, and everybody who's been involved in it is, is excited about the way it goes. So, you know, we've seen some real good early signals and we think we can have a major impact on the way people buy cars in the future. Really, and they can do it the way that they want to do it too. I mean, if they want to test drive, there's a dealer, uh, largely local probably, that will uh, enable that and make that happen. Uh, if they want the car delivered, you facilitate that too, don't you? Exactly, and, and for the folks who want to test drive before they do the deal, they can always go out to a dealership and do that. Uh, our program comes with a three-day return policy. So, you know, that's kind of a test drive phase. If you don't have a chance to go drive the vehicle first, you can drive it for a couple of days and, and then we'll support the, if you need to, returning that vehicle back to the dealer. So, you know, we, we, we want to make it, we want to make it transparent and easy to use for the consumer. We want to make it efficient uh, for the dealer. Uh, and I think there's a real opportunity to do that and and keep a balance to the marketplace where dealers still play a key role. Right. For consumers who aren't in Florida, and I guess you're going to roll out in, in the southeast as well uh, fairly soon with TrueCar Plus. But for those who can't have access to TrueCar Plus at this time, how do they go about doing it, Mike? Well, we're, we're going to steal uh, we're going to steal some uh, marketing approach from the movie industry. We'll be rolling out each quarter and. 
As we get ready to go into a market, those folks will get some media from us that says coming soon. We'll describe what's going to be available to them. Uh, and, and, you know, in, in the interim, we still have our core product available. They can shop local dealers in their marketplace uh, and we'll make a connection for them with the local dealer and they can go in and buy the vehicle. Well, pricing, of course, has been one of uh, the things that uh, has marked TrueCar. I mean, real transaction pricing, what's going on in the marketplace as, a, as opposed to a largely fictional pricing that's out there. Describe how you can help, help uh, consumers in this marketplace. Yeah, I, I think the, the interesting thing for us is one of the foundational things that TrueCar did was ask for, for proprietary pricing from our retail partners. So our dealers all use uh, a mechanism that we've built for them to send us their pricing. It's unique to us. We ask them to make sure that it's the price they want to sell the car at. Uh, and, and we make sure consumers understand that this dealer is willing to sell this vehicle at that price. The other thing we do is we take all the transactions in a marketplace and we create a data bell curve for the consumer to understand how a similar car that they're looking at has been sold in the market and what the price was. So we get a real price from the dealer and then we give the consumer a look at what's been bought in the market and they can tell you know, where that sits in the bell curve. Is it fair? Is it a great price? Is it a little bit high priced? You know, they'll, they'll have all that data to make that decision. And of course, uh, the value of the customer's current car is important, right? I mean, you really can't solidify a deal without a, a solid price for that trade-in. So tell us about that. Yeah, so you know, about 40% of the consumers we work with have a trade uh, when they're buying a new car or another used car. So it, it is very important that they understand the value of that trade. We have a tool on our site. They answer a few questions for us and we give them a guaranteed cash value uh, for their trade-in. It's backed by TrueCar. And if they go to the dealership to finish the deal and it ends up being a vehicle that the dealer doesn't want, we'll come and get it uh, and, and guarantee the customer that cash. So it, you, you touched on a very important point. There's a lot of appraisal tools out there, but many of them are a range. And they say your car's worth somewhere between 12,000 and 15,000. Well, if you're trying to do a deal, that's not very helpful because you need to know that real number. So, you know, we, we lock into a real number for the consumer and then we stand behind it. What are your, I, we don't have much time left, Mike, and, and I'm kind of sorry about that because there's a lot to still explore, but what, what are your parting thoughts for people who are looking to buy a new used vehicle uh, in the next, say, 30 days or so? What's your advice? Yeah, I would say it, it's still going to be critical to always do your homework right? Do, you, do your work online. Do it at your own pace. Don't force yourself into a, a, a period where you're rushing out to the marketplace. Do your homework. Look for sites like TrueCar who can help in that process. Take a look at the electric vehicles that are out there. You know, you and I had a chance to be at the auto show. A lot of really good electric vehicles coming to the marketplace. Uh, and I think those will continue to grow on the consumer shopping set. But do your homework uh, and let, let the sites that are out there, particularly TrueCar, help you with getting things done and, and being prepared when you show up at a dealership. That makes good sense. And you're going to find a lot of great information at TrueCar. So uh, Mike Darrow, president of TrueCar, thanks so much for being with us. We really do appreciate it. Good talking to you, Jack. And thanks for having me. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague. Uh, this is Jackie right back. 
with you, and we're so glad you're with us on America on the Road. We we do appreciate you listening, and if you like the show, please tell a friend about America on the Road. You know, listen to it on the radio, pick up the podcast, all of those things. Watch us on YouTube, for that matter. You know, see Chris's hats. It's fun to fun to watch. See which hat he's wearing today. Here it's listener question time, and here's a listener question. This is from Leonard in Arlington, Texas. Leonard asks this, I'm looking for a medium-sized SUV that is also fun to drive. Is there such a thing? What do you recommend? Chris? Yeah, well, you know, the good thing about automakers making all sorts of SUVs is they tend to make plenty of fun-to-drive models because that's what people drive. So starting at the lower price range, Jack, we have plenty to choose from. There's the Mazda CX-5. I think it's a fantastic vehicle. It looks great. It's affordable in terms of the grand scheme of things. Uh, if you want to move up the food chain a little bit, the Genesis GV70 is great. It looks fantastic. It's really comfortable. It's fun to drive. The Alfa Romeo Stelvio is uh, is another one, man. It's, uh, you know, more Italian style. The Audi SQ5, we could keep going. If you want a wild card, Jack, I'm going to throw this out. I want your reaction. The Hyundai Kona N, I think, is a fantastic choice. It's also one of the most affordable ones. Um, it's very fun to drive. So what do you think? Yeah, I think you've uh, landed on a bunch of them. Another one I might throw in there is the Mazda CX-9, uh, a three-row midsize, a little smaller midsize. Uh, uh, I've had good good luck with that. And I think uh, of all the midsize vehicles, it, it probably handles among the best. And then there is it a Ford Explorer version with 400 horsepower that's a kind of a cool vehicle as well. So if you're looking for something like that, and uh, but you identified some luxuries that are very cool too, and uh, they're out there, which is very nice. So I think maybe that helps Leonard. And you always help uh, the show, Chris, by providing such great insight. Thanks for co-hosting. Yeah, it's great to be back or great to be here. I was here last week. I want to thank everybody else for listening to us. If you like you heard and you want to hear more, you can take us with you wherever you go. If you go to the sportsmapradio.com website, you can find us on Saturday morning. There you can find our podcast on all the major platforms. Yes, and thanks to the SportsMap Radio Network stations for carrying America on the road. I like to plug my new book. It's just published. It's called Dance in the Dark. It's a crime thriller inspired by true crime. I happen to have a, some a somewhat of a passion for true crime, and so I wrote this uh, essentially as very much like a true crime book. I think everything in Dance in the Dark is very plausible, so look for that. It's on Amazon right now from E.M. Lancey Publishers, LLC. As you say, our show is available as a podcast, and we want you to join us again right here for another edition of America on the Road. <laughs>